tried to tell Hink, you know, we ran a professional shop gallery, <laughs> but I don't know. You, I We're a little bit rusty. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get this thing started. Everyone comfortable? We're good to go. Thumbs up from the executive producer Ray. Hello and welcome to the CS Duplessis Show. A big shout out to our partners at Betway. Check out betway.co.za for more information. Of course, coming up, the Betway SA20. You don't want to miss that. It is the second edition. Game of Zones. Catch 2 million rand. Wait and see what happens there. But that's all on betway.co.za and their socials. Now he is, um, how can I put this? He's, He's a very talented man who likes to drive through the desert at incredible speeds. Uh, unfortunately, he's missing out on the world's toughest race no. next year. Um, Henk Lautkhan, thanks for joining us. But it always sounds weird because Ray has covered a few of these events, the Dakar. And he always say next year, but it's kind of like in the beginning of the year. So it's always weird. Like the 2023 edition, you feel like it's, it's just strange. But I'm sorry to hear that you're not competing. But um, how is the recovery going, and, and what is that incredible contraption on your arm? Oh, no, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this is, this is the second time I've had one of these. This time it's a bit more, more serious. Okay. Um, so in my first Dakar, which was three years ago, I had a, a crash on day five. My Dakar ended early, and I ended up in a, in a sling quite similar to this. Um, I dislocated my shoulder backwards that time, and... Yeah, unfortunately, this year in one of the local races, I did basically exactly the same thing. So I did, it was the same crash, um, just about. So, uh, yeah, it's too much force for my shoulder to handle and it uh, dislocated backwards, um, damaging a few things along the way. Uh, so I had, I had surgery five weeks ago. Okay. Um, and it, the doctor thinks it went well, so that's good well, news. That's always a good start. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, this time it's a, a bit more damage, they said. Um, last time I could be racing, or I was racing already, it was exactly 100 days after the surgery, uh, which was a bit of a push. Nobody yeah. really wanted me to do it. <laughs> um, but this time it looks like a bit more damage. So unfortunately for me, this year I'm sidelined. Um, how, how is it feeling at the moment, five weeks out from surgery? I mean, you said to me you drove yourself here, and I was quite surprised. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you should be driving no. yourself at the moment, but you are a rally driver. You're a racing driver. Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't ask the doctor because I was afraid of what he'd say. So, <laughs> so I'm driving myself at least. Um, and it's, it's starting to get a bit better. The first, I'd say the first three weeks were really painful. It's very uncomfortable to sleep. I have to keep this thing on. I have to... Basically, the only time I can take it off is when I shower. So, wow, yeah, man. it's not comfortable. Well, I wish you a speedy recovery that you can get rid of the contraption more than anything else. No, thanks. Um, tell us, so when you drive, and I, and I always ask you know, racing drivers this or guys who ride bikes, when you're sitting in traffic, does it drive you absolutely crazy because of what you're used <clears> to <throat> having the freedom of that sort of clean air in front of you? I think... Uh, my personality doesn't do well with traffic <laughs> more than anything. Um, I think the racing actually helps it a bit maybe because you get some of your frustrations out the way. If you if you get a driver car flat out as fast as you can uh, or as fast as it will go, so then traffic becomes a bit more bearable because you know <laughs> you'll get it out the way again <laughs> sometimes. So, no, no, it, it's but it's still I think for anybody. Um, luckily, I don't I don't live in the city. I live out in in the sticks. So I don't have too much traffic to deal with, but when I come to town, it's not, it's not the greatest. Well, thanks for coming in all the way to Johannesburg. <laughs> um, 
you spoke about going as fast as you can, flat out, putting that, that pedal accelerator down. What's going through your mind there? Because us mere mortals, you get to like 135 on the highway, we're like, oh, we've got to watch the speed limits, you know? <laughs> There's, the speed limit's very different for you and Dakar and, and, and the rally. Yeah, so nowadays, for safety, they, they started limiting the speed. So a few years ago, it was completely open. You could do as fast as the car would go. And uh, in some stages, they were doing like 210 or 220 on completely virgin terrain. There was no road. It's not even like on a dirt road. It's on open fields <laughs> and things. Goodness. So then they brought it down a few years ago to 180. And lately, it's been 170. So... It's it's still, still pretty fast. It's still enough. <laughs> uh, it's still enough on gravel, and when there's no road, it's it's when you start hitting the limit, you think, okay, that's great. Now we don't have to go any faster. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's still definitely it's still a thing. But um, I think a lot of people think, no, you got to be mad, or you got to be mm. is this massive adrenaline rush, or you got to just take risk all the time. But actually, if you if you look at it from the if you look at the whole race, let's say a race like Dakar is is four thousand kilometers that you have to get right. Um, and if you're taking risk around every corner, there's no way you're going to finish yeah. it. Um, I think Ross, Ross Branch said that uh, it takes 4,000 kilometers to finish the Dakar and it takes one to end it. That's so, exactly right. So if, if you're going to go flat out and take risks and have high adrenaline moments all the time, there's no way you're getting to the end. So it's actually quite quite calculated. It's a, it's a very different approach. Um, I think a few times when we go to testing or we take people for drives, uh, when they see me, they said that we never expected a racing driver to look like this or to act like this. But it's <laughs> on the, in, behind the steering wheel, it's actually quite a, a, a calculated yeah. sport. And, and I mean, are you calm? I mean, obviously the heart rate's going, but are you calm? And is it like almost being in the zone where you know I'm dialed in here, I need to be focused 100% on, on what I'm doing? Yeah, so it's there's like a few emotions that you go through, especially if you're going to bigger races, having races overseas and that sort of thing. Um, and you, you do get better at it over time. But for me, the most difficult thing to get into is just before the race or before the first stage, that, that's when you actually have the adrenaline spike. So you're nervous about the start, you're nervous about what you'll do in the first stage, you're nervous about the terrain that you don't know about. But usually as soon as you drop the clutch when the clock hits zero, um, everything goes away. And then, then it's purely calculated. Um, trying to dive yourself back or yeah. get into get into that like zone um and usually you'll know when you have it if if you're going quick enough then you know about it and the days that you're not then in the, in the olden days i'd keep on pushing and make a mistake or have <laughs> have a big off but lately i've been able to dial it back a little bit and there's just some days when you know okay everything's not going perfectly i need to get through this one and then carry on tomorrow but in the olden days i was flat out everywhere <laughs> Um, we'll get back uh, back to where it all began for you and, and where um, you fell in love with, with racing because it happened quite early on in your life. But um, how bad are those nerves before any race? I mean, you've won the cross-country championship 2019, 2020, 21 here. You and, and Brett Cummings have done a phenomenal job. But how, how hectic do those nerves get before a race or before a stage? Uh, so lately I've, I've learned over the years how to, how to handle, handle them or how to get rid of them. But back in the day, it, it was really bad. I used to I used to physically get sick. I used oh, to throw wow. up before a race <laughs> because of the nerves. There was nothing else. Yeah. So before the race, I'd, I'd get sick. <laughs> um, and I can't eat. I can't eat in the mornings. I have to, even till today, I have to sort of force feed myself okay. in the mornings. Um, so it's it's bad. <laughs> it's It really, it goes 100 in the mornings. And then 
usually by the time we start of sort of pushed it down all yeah. the way to to manageable level but it is it's still a problem um it's interesting i suppose as you do more events as you mature as as a driver i mean 28 years old uh, still pretty young in your your especially in in this sort of category of racing but do you feel that with each race you kind of mature a bit you know a bit more what to expect you know your body you know your mental state and i suppose that's how you overcome these sort of nervous bouts because at the end of the day you are putting your life on the line yeah so no definitely i i mean i'm still uh, there's still a lot to learn sure and uh i like to see myself or to think about myself as quite a laid back back guy not i'm not too stressed about a lot of things yeah um but as i get older and as i go further and further into the sport um you start realizing that if you if you're racing against the best in the world the talent and the the pure speed or whatever is not it's going to get you part of the way it's not going to get you all the way so lately i've gone against my nature and started trying to control all of the things outside of my driving so my diet my sleep my eating or or when i eat and how i eat before a race like i said i have to force myself before <laughs> before we start the the stage and Now there's a lot of things around it that I used to hate doing. I really it was the worst thing ever for me and now I'm starting to <laughs> starting to get into it and eventually you start enjoying those things as well yeah. but it's yeah it's definitely over the years I've learned that there's there's a lot more to racing than just driving a car fast. What's a what's a typical meal before for a race for you? Is it sort of because it's interesting you said I don't think people realize that you have to maintain your weight. You you know, at the end of the day it's extra kilograms that are in the car. Uh, but you also have to be fighting fit if i can put it that way so you can't just be a skeleton sitting behind a wheel yeah so luckily we have heavy cars so my weight doesn't <laughs> doesn't make big it's not like a horse a and a jockey yeah, yeah yeah it's not like formula 1 where they have to be on the kilogram we can yeah, be yeah. two or three over okay. so <laughs> so it's it's there's some some uh, margin there but i mean it is it's more about the 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 energy that you have mm. so um the typical day at dakar we we wake up before the sun comes up um we have a little camper van myself and Brett and uh i'll eat something like future life or prenutra or whatever whatever i can manage to get yeah. down so whatever is the easiest thing usually there's no scrambled eat. eggs and bacon and so things going on no, especially not. in Saudi Arabia I yeah, suppose yeah. no plus when it's dark out then nobody's nobody's <laughs> going to wake up to make <laughs> eggs and bacon so um so we we have like a, a small breakfast like that and then Brett will take a few bars in the car cuz usually I have a a 2 or 300 kilometer mm. road section you drive with the normal cars on the road um out into the desert before you start the stage and you know, sometimes I eat a bar or something like that there and then then you have to then you're racing for four hours yeah. and then sometimes you have another 2 or 3 hours back to the pit so on some days you leave you leave the bivouac when it's dark and then you arrive back when it's dark and the only thing you have to eat is that that small bowl of whatever you had in the morning and then the bars that uh, bread brings along so uh, other than that now and then we see if we can spot a mcdonald's next <laughs> to the road <laughs> grab a, a drive through yeah. big mac or something it. Yeah. <laughs> um okay silly question ray's going to probably edit this out um does he pass you the bar and does he like you know take the wrapper off and <laughs> give it to something it doesn't feed me but <laughs> uh, so so we take easy things to eat you got the you know what i'm saying no no, no so so on the open section it's easy i can open my own stuff okay. um but in the stage it's it's like that he literally opens it for me and then he'll pass it over and 
I'll, well, you'll usually have to check is there a straight because if you're <laughs> fighting the car and going on two wheels or whatever, it will be a big mess. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, that trust uh, with Brett is so important, but you guys have competed for a long time together now. I mean, a couple of years. He's also, which I didn't realize, he's you know done a Malimoto. Um, this guy, is, uh, he's got an experienced dude, even though he's got like a bit of a baby-faced assassin look about him. <laughs> oh, no, no, definitely. That, that's part of the reason... Uh, or he joined me or we, we joined up um, and it was actually Glenn, Glenn Hall's idea um, he told me I'd, I'd been racing for them for about a year or maybe just over a year he said he'd like me to meet up with this guy um, he's done Dakar on a bike he'd like me to see if I if we can get along because um, that's really important yeah. I mean you spend so much time together and like you said it's a trust thing um, I've got his life in my hands and he's got my life in yeah. his hands so it, w- it was a big thing, so I went out to meet him, and I, I thought he was quite a quite a good oak. <laughs> so yeah, we joined up from there, and yeah, like you said, he's got a lot of experience um, from Dakar. Uh, he do- he's done one one race with the team on the mm. bikes, and then he did the Malamoto, and that year actually ended up coming second in yeah. Malamoto. So he's he's quite handy on a bike, <laughs> um, and I mean, if you have to ride the bike yourself and find your way, then you must be quite a good navigator as well. So. Oh, he was the the he was the right guy to get into mm. into the car, especially before I was even before my first Dakar. So it was the right move. And I mean, when you're in that sort of high pressure situation, um, is there like room for a joke, or you know, was it do you say much, or is there singing? You know, I mean, f- forgive me for my ignorance because I've never sat in the car. Um, but there's got to be some of those moments that you guys share that makes that bond even stronger. Yeah, no. So, so like out, outside the stage, there's we chat about yeah. life. Like you, you get to know this person well, yeah. like really well. Because um, I mean, two weeks spending three hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon in the car, sleeping in the same camper. Yeah. So you spend literally you you live with this person. It's like like my, I don't know, it's my, yes. my racing partner. Yeah. <laughs> so so you start to know a lot about this person, and then yeah, we 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 listen to music on the way to the stage and. Mm-hmm. Trust me, there are some moments in the stage. So there'll be there'll be a lot of things. You, you are serious about it, and you're yeah. racing flat out. But you, if if it's that blind and that open, there's there's bound to be one or two moments where you both think you're gonna die and get through it, and then <laughs> and then that's that's a moment you'll cherish. Yeah. <laughs> we survived that day. <laughs> um, take us to to your your Dakar debut. I mean, that must be in some a bit of a dream come true moment, if I can put it that way. Like. Or like a career highlight, knowing because Dakar is is the pinnacle in terms of the sort of off road stuff. It's the race you want to be a part of. No, no. So so when I I think when I was younger, I'd, I never thought about Dakar. Um, and then I was racing. I was racing rallying, um, and that was that was my passion. Okay. And then that sort of fell away, and I thought, okay, it's over. No more no more racing. And then I got into the the cross country thing. Um, and then it sort of reignited that passion and, and the drive. And then obviously your goal, I mean, if you're in rallying, WRC is, is the yeah. end goal. And if you're racing cross country or rally raid, then, uh, then Dakar is the end sure. goal. So it took me a few years. I was racing, I think it was two or three years before I, I got the first go at Dakar. So it was a massive build up, And yeah. I knew every year that I was racing cross country, there was a chance maybe next year I'll go to Dakar. And uh, there was a there was a chance the one year the same year that Alonso went um, there was a chance for me to go and it just didn't end up going through so you sort of you you were getting yourself ready for this yeah. thing and it just 
didn't come through at the end. So the next year when they told me I can go, then you you can imagine everything is, I'm I'm at that level. I'm ready <laughs> to go. And uh, I don't know, maybe that was the wrong mindset to arrive there because the first three or four days were amazing, and the fifth yeah, one you was were not flying, weren't you? Oh no! So it was it was also it was a bit of a baptism of fire. Mm. Um, no, I was telling the story. We are, we arrived there thinking, okay, the biggest thing they always tell you is don't get lost. Yeah. Because the navigation is a big part of Dakar. So remember the first thing I thought, okay, don't get lost, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> scribble that down first 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 ones don't get lost and i'll tell you the second one just now so the first one was we need we need to find at least the first waypoint yeah i mean the waypoints are five six kilometers apart and we set off after the first first stage or onto the first stage and we were having a beautiful drive i mean we found this little little road like a sort of a riverbed in between trees and the rhythm that thing i told you about when you when you feel okay you've got it now yeah. that came immediately so I thought, yes, this is going so yeah. well. I don't know what and they're uh, talking about. This uh, is easy. I, I thought, <laughs> yes, the car is we're dancing it through the trees. <laughs> Brett is happy. It's beautiful. Brett was, I think he was watching me drive. But eventually, <laughs> we realized there are no other tracks. And we're not first on the road. So <laughs> 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 and we couldn't remember when the track stopped, but it was a few kilometers back. Okay. So we missed our first waypoint. Oh, wow. <laughs> So we, we ended up going back and we were completely lost. We were driving around in circles. Eventually got over the top of a hill and by blind luck, we found the waypoint. Okay. So the, the little, the I think they called it ERTF or whatever, that just came on and had a green light and we said, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we <are>. I was <laughs> lucky. <laughs> and then we could carry on. So so that was that was day one. Yeah. So remember day one. Then the, f the next few, they get better because... Mm. I mean, in South Africa, we don't have anything to practice this this waypoint system yeah. on. So we have a completely different system uh, to find the road. Um, so that was the first thing we needed to learn. And then the next thing was the dunes. So the first day I had no dunes. And I remember saying, okay, the only thing we should do is not get stuck. <laughs> don't get stuck. <laughs> so it was about two Ks we got stuck. <laughs> <laughs> so into the first, the first, it was the first dune. The yeah. Literally the first dune. You, there was no other dunes yet. <laughs> the it. first dune of the Dakar got stuck. And I was just that thing, you, you're so nervous about getting up this thing that you just don't carry enough speed and it was just got stuck. So yeah. Brett had to climb out and dig the car out and put the sand ladders out. And it, you know, it took us a while to get out of there. Um, then we, we, we got through this dune crossing and missed the next waypoint. So we turned back, went all the way through the dune crossing again. So it was, it was really the first <laughs> the first day and a half or two days was really the yeah the baptism of fire and then day three and four i think we were third and second on the stage so it yeah you had a lot of people excited yeah, all yeah. of a sudden it went really well yeah <laughs> um obviously uh the the crashing side of the sport the dangers that are there when you happen to get into that situation is it a case of it happens very fast and you sort of kind of brace yourself or is it the time when it doesn't feel like slow motion because there's a lot of different accounts and, and as someone who's experienced it firsthand you know oh. with obviously with all due respect <laughs> but what's going through your mind there because i imagine sometimes it could be something that happens super fast and you're like oh crap here we are i think like you said i might be too experienced at crashing <laughs> <laughs> so I've, before like i said when i was younger i was flat out all the yeah. time and i actually had a few i'm not proud of it but i had a i had quite a lot of crashes when i was younger in the in the rally car so 
Um, when I went over to cross country, it was very clear, don't crash the car. Yeah. Um, so I had to bring it back a few notches and the the crashes have, have they're, not, they're not as frequent anymore, but when I have one, it's usually quite a big one. And like I said, you don't, um, usually I think on the track or whatever, if you see a crash coming, you brace yourself. But yeah. in, uh, in cross country, I mean, every corner is half a crash. So you don't get time to, to brace yourself. You're always, you're always sorting the car out somehow. Um, I mean, you're going blind across dunes. Yeah. The car's on two wheels. Then you save that. Then you hit a big ditch at the bottom. The car wants to go on the other two wheels. You save that again. Then there's a tree. You've got to go off the road, miss the tree. Then you save that, and then you can carry on going. So it's it, it's a bit of a... It's a, it's a sequence of saving crashes yeah. to get through a, through a through a stage if you want to go at the speed that the top guys are going. And I mean everybody's doing this. Yeah. Um, th there's nobody that doesn't have a moment in a stage that they that they're pushing. So it is a, it is a bit like that. You don't want to you don't want to be completely out of control. Um, but you you learn to. I've always said in rallying I I learned how to drive on gravel and then in cross country I learned how to drive the car in the air a little bit. <laughs> so okay, there, there's some place where it's so rough that you only touch the ground every two or three meters. Yeah. So you're bouncing the car almost across across this really rough terrain. I can't even like picture it. I mean, mm. I've seen the visuals that have, and I mean, there's some amazing visuals, but you think like you guys are superhumans. You're like cowboys out there, man. No, it feels, well, I mean, like I said, it feels like in the <laughs> beginning. And then after a while you start thinking, you start realizing, okay, there's a bit of a technique to this. Yeah. And once you figure that out, it starts becoming a lot of fun. Like, I'm really starting to enjoy that side of it. But yeah, it is like that. So usually when you when it goes a bit too far and you mm. and you don't manage to save the crash, you drive it until the very end. Oh, I, I see. I mean, I'll I'll give it counter steer and throttle when we're upside down. So <laughs> <laughs> just thinking how can we stop the roll at Yeah, least. yeah, I got you. Um, because I mean, it the cars are also so strong that um, usually when your body doesn't break, you can fix the car, patch it up, and you can still get to, to the end. Uh, and that's a bit of the problem. That's why I'm sitting in this in the sling. Yeah. Is uh, you, see, you see a problem coming. I saw we're going into a ditch, but I was already thinking about when this thing lands, I need to catch it because um, we're going to be on the front wheels, and hopefully we can pull it out and survive and carry on. And that didn't happen. So my hands were on the steering wheel and I think part of what, what damaged my shoulder is the fact that I, I was holding onto the steering wheel and when we hit the ditch, it just swung the steering to the left um, plus we pulled a couple of Gs, yeah. a lot of Gs. Um, so that force just forced it out. So it's it's one of those things. You, If if I let go, maybe I would have been fine. We could have carried on, but you're never going to give up if you're halfway through a crash. Well, I'm just glad you were alive to, you know, talk about it because there are guys that haven't made it after crashes you oh. know um but i think for me the interesting thing is you, you mentioned your rallying side and then going to the cross country like you've acquired skills over the years you know from way back when and now you're applying it to a very different sort of scenario but i imagine that experience and how you apply it um goes hand in hand to someone who's maybe just getting into dakar or into this sort of space for the first time yeah, no, and it's 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 impossible. I, th I I wouldn't even be able to explain it to my younger self because I wouldn't listen to myself. <laughs> um, you always hear the older guys when you're younger saying, you know, you need to get to the end and you need to build the experience and you you need to build your pace up and all of that sort of thing. And you think, oh, okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, sure, buddy. Then, <laughs> then after a while, like in the beginning, I think the 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 young guys, I mean, they fast. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, in in all forms of racing, the 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 top end of the field is becoming younger and younger. Um, if you look at like uh, Max Verstappen or Kali mm -hmm. Rovan like those guys are they're extremely young for what yeah. they're doing. Um, and I think the same thing will probably start happening in cross country. Um, but I th I also think on the other hand, the young guys are really fast in the beginning and. But I think sometimes they don't understand why they're fast. Okay. And I think over time you start to understand why, why somebody's faster, why somebody's got the speed, or why somebody's better in some areas than you. And then yeah. you can start working on that. Um, so yeah, it, that that's the side that's starting to take a bit of time. And then you can, if if you start figuring out why you're fast, then you know if we have a section that I'm quite good at compared to everybody else, I can take it a bit easier in some way that I needed to take a bit more risk when I was younger. And that side, that's the experience that everybody's talking about <laughs> that I never understood. Um, so now it's it's getting there slowly. Um, speaking of that sort of going fast, do you have a memory of that first time when you were like, I actually like this. You, you know, in your racing, before even your racing career, but there was probably a moment when you're like, I quite like going fast. I think I'm going to race, you know, other people. Can Can you maybe share that or... Go back to where it sort of started, where you fell in love with going fast and racing, I suppose. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember liking going fast. Okay. Um, like I, I grew up, my dad My dad was racing since I was... Yeah, uh, it's in your blood. Sort of grew Absolutely. up around the track. There's pictures of me at two years old in the racing car. <laughs> um, and then I'd, I'd always wanted to race. But I don't think I ever understood what it, what it was to race. You know, So... Um, I was pushing. I wanted to do karting. My dad didn't like the scene, and then I then I wanted to go to track racing, and he wasn't too keen on that. And I carried on trying, <laughs> and uh, eventually, um, rallying was was where we started. And back then, it was I started in a in a Toyota, so it's gone full circle. Um, but it was a, it was a small Toyota Taz, a thirteen hundred. It's a slow, slow, slow thing. <laughs> so you can't go faster than that. Um, but. I, I think the, the the side that I really liked was not not the speed, not going 120 past a tree or whatever. It was more it was more the skill set. It's like it's like almost learning to juggle. You know, other people can do it. You should be able to yeah. do it as well. And then when you get it, you're like, okay, well, okay, <laughs> yeah, <I got laughs> that's this. nice. Now I'm gonna learn the next thing. Um, and that's what it's like like rallying or racing. It's you you know there are a certain set of skills that you need to develop. Um, I mean, the first time I got into the car, my dad told me, okay. Right foot's for acceleration, left foot's for clutch and brake. <laughs> so, okay. so then you know, okay, you got to get this balance yeah. right, and then you got to learn how to slide the car, and you got to, you got to so, sort of develop those skills. And uh, in the beginning, was we we well after school, my mom would well, my mom would take me. I'd get in the passenger seat of the rally car. I didn't have a license, and we'd go across the road, and there was a farm with a small track on it, and she'd sit there next to the road, and I was just driving laps. And driving around cones and just figuring figuring the thing out and I I mean that was that that time of my life was amazing. Yeah. You learned this this brand new skill set, um, and you were sort of figuring it out as you were going along. And you know, it's that 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 side is what I really enjoyed. Um, the speed thing, you start to understand how to go yeah. fast later. But it wasn't I wasn't after the speed. It was more mastering the skill. I got you. So it's not an adrenaline rush sort of thing. It was more about. Yeah. How can I get this and learn this and, and be the best at it? Yeah. So I take it your driver's license was a breeze. 
Uh, luckily. <laughs> no, luckily, luckily that was not too bad. I think I would have gotten, yo, I would have never heard the end of it if I failed it. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, looking at um, the next sort of chapter for you, or not next chapter, but maybe the next few years, Dakar, getting back into it. And I think it was an interview you did um, a little while ago where you said you're not in there just to punish your body, just to be a part of it and say, I'm experiencing it. You're there to to win it. Is that still very much part of the sort of thinking despite the injuries that you, you have had in the sport? Uh, so that's why it, it was, I mean, getting the surgery now was a very difficult decision mm. um, because there was a small chance that I could have tried to, to race Dakar if I didn't have a surgery. Um, it would have been on the edge uh, and there would have been a very high chance of me dislocating my shoulder, not even from a crash, just from hitting a dune or a bump yeah. at Dakar. So, the mean, yeah, that force, right? No, yeah. no, it's it's really yeah. it's rough. Like even when you're not crashing, it's it hurts. Yeah. So, it it was a tough decision because it was, I mean, the the next step or the next logical step is is getting enough budget and funding to do not just Dakar but the world championship okay because there are there are four other rounds outside of Dakar each of them about a week long um and two or three of them in the dunes in exactly the the sort of terrain with the same sort of navigation that you get at Dakar so that's that's that was the next step and okay. it, it was looking quite good um for next year uh so this Dakar as tough as it is it was it was one of those that would have been sort of the start of that next step. I got you. Um, we have gained a lot of experience. I've practiced a lot in the dunes. Um, the navigation we're starting to understand. I did Abu Dhabi in the beginning of the year, so we got the extra practice in the dunes. And in that sort of competition, the same guys that you race against at Dakar were there. So it was, it was everything was shaping up to, to start off a, a great year. And, uh, yeah, so the call was either... We try and do it, but the risk of that is I lost. I would have lost three months. Yeah. And then if I damaged it there, I would have had to set out for another five or six. So the the call was made to to do it now, which means I lose five months. Um, so at at most I'll I'll miss a Dakar and a an Abu Dhabi. So the the reason for it was was because I still want to be in the sport. I, yeah. I want to stay. I want to stay in the sport. I want to be competitive and. Uh, just doing this one Dakar is not not gonna be the long term solution yeah. if I if I hurt myself. So I've taken some time. I'm looking after my body a bit more, um, getting it back up to speed, and then hopefully we can start uh, competing in a few more of the the WRC or the W2RC rounds, um, and then hopefully carry on building the skills and building it into a long term career. Because like I said, it it hurts enough that uh, it's it's not. It's not great to just do it for fun. Yeah, you're gonna have something to show for it at the end of the day. No, exactly. Um, it's quite interesting from a mental point of view. Like, how tough has it been mentally for you to know that you're missing out on this one, on on this opportunity? But I suppose at the same time, it was something you had to do in order to prolong your career. No, so I don't, I don't know if it's hit me. Fully. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe when the, the no, sort of build up is a bit closer. No, it's it's been five weeks and I'm going through through ups and downs, but also I, I sort of knew what was coming. I mean, um my first Dakar had the same thing on day five and that time it was in COVID, so there was no way of flying back and getting out the race. 
Um, so I was sort of forced back into this whole Dakar world, watching everybody go out for the stages, driving on the roads, seeing the terrain, seeing the cars race. And then, you know, I've got trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's, there's no way of getting back into the race. You know that you're going to probably miss the first, first round of the local season. There's no testing. There's no practice. There's nothing. There's no way of you saying, okay, let's get back into it and get, get back up to speed. And that's usually the first thing you want to do as a racing driver. If you have a big crash or if you have an injury, the first thing you want to do is get back in the car and race it flat out and yeah. say, okay, we're okay. Let's carry on where we left off. Um, with this, there's no chance of doing that. Yeah. You've got to wait five or six months and then only hopefully you can get a test or you can get into a stage. And then coming back is quite nerve-wracking. I can imagine. It's, uh, is confidence a, a big part of it? Definitely. You know? yeah. So I haven't, I haven't had a problem getting back yet and I, I think this time should be should be the same um but it is usually it's it's something to think about yeah. because uh, like you said when you get into the zone you sort of go into a mindset where you do everything right and there's i mean there's thousands of things that you need to do in a stage but every one of them goes according to plan and then then you you don't think about crashing or about what could happen or any anything like that so if you if you're in there and that's really where you need to get to, then you are then you're fast, you yeah. are clean, you are confident, every everything's going well. So if you start bringing yourself out of that mode and thinking, "Ooh, we mustn't we mustn't drop it now," then then usually it starts going wrong. Okay. So you don't you don't want to drive defensively, you want to attack. Yeah, that's the only way you know is attack. Yeah. Um, I I remember you you said something uh, in an interview that I, I was was watching on uh, I think it was on YouTube. Uh, thank you to everyone who's liked and subscribed to our podcast. We appreciate it. Um, you said Janil de Villiers was actually a great teammate. Um, as a guy who's an absolute legend of the race, a former winner, um, having someone like that with the knowledge, the experience, he also appears to be quite a chilled dude. Um, how much of a sort of benefit or advantage is that for, for you, like when you were first coming in and now as you making your way in, in Dakar? No, so look, definitely Janil has taught me a lot yeah. in the sport. I mean, I'm, I'm, like I said before, I'm very grateful to have a teammate like that yeah. because I've been part of a, a few different teams and it, it's not always like that. You Usually in motorsport or in basically any sport, um, your teammate's actually your number one competitor. <laughs> it, should, it shouldn't be like that, but they're in the same equipment with the same setup, with the same backing, um, doing the same race as yeah. you. Competing and for top spot. Yeah, so yeah. minimum, if you are good enough, you should be beating that guy. Yeah. So that that was so usually usually it's it's not not that open, but I think with Janil, I mean he's he's had a great career and he's he's proven himself. He's got nothing to prove. Yeah. He's he's you, everybody knows he's one of the one of the best in the world. So I think that was a that was a nice environment to come into. Um, because he didn't need to prove anything against me, and I mean, I was still up and coming and and finding my feet. And in the beginning, he really helped me a lot to do that. So um, he was always open if I asked him, "Can I sit in the car with him if he goes into the dunes or whatever?" He said, "No problem." So, and uh, you could you you got the feeling it was genuinely showing me what he yeah. what he thought would would help me. Um, it was not the case with everyone. <laughs> I've been in cars with other people where they show you some dodgy things. So. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know that you've opened up the door to the question now. <laughs> what are those dodgy things that they showed you? But uh, we'll we'll get to that just now. But um, 
with with Janil, uh, I just sort of get the feeling like he's trying to sort of pass on the baton in a way because he knows eventually his time will come to to retire. But also, I mean, just what a great ambassador for the sport. Yeah, no, I think I don't, I don't think he's ready to retire no. just yet. <laughs> um, no, he's still got a got a fight in him. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it a lot at the especially in the local series and every every now and then in a Dakar you'll you'll think we did a good stage now and then Janil will come through and just <laughs> pip you. <laughs> okay. So yeah, no, he's still he's still on it. He's awake. He's um and he's he's a great driver. He's got a lot of lot of experience. So that's why it's so great learning learning from him. And uh something that everybody doesn't see is is more behind the scenes, mm. setting up the car, building the car, because I mean um the car we're racing was was built, developed set up by that one team it's a south african south african yeah. car south african people south african drivers and if if you don't have a driver giving the direction um then you can't build a fast racing car uh so so that side of of it he's also really good yeah. at um so not just from a driving side or experience in the dunes or whatever um he's actually learned me a lot or he's taught me a lot in uh in setting up the car yeah. and in suspension and and dampers and more the technical side. Um, so I think people don't know that, but there's a he's a extremely technical guy on, on that side as well. Yeah, and Toyota Gazoo Racing, South Africa have done a phenomenal job. I mean, how many Dakars have you now won uh, as a team? Um, obviously, uh, Nassal Atiyah has, has moved on, but at the same time, it's sort of opened the door, you know, for you guys to, to challenge for the title. Um, I just want to touch on Janil. What is the best advice that he's he's given you? Is it don't get lost and don't get stuck or <laughs> no I, I can't think of that like nugget but uh no i just remember once we we're in in namibia and uh we were going up this dune and he said see those little ripples there we're not going there <laughs> and then he turned around and went back down the dune and i learned the hard way going over one of those dunes and i saw the ripples i thought okay no maybe we'll make it and when i got over the top there was these three massive bowls, but like sand bowls. Oh, wow. But uh, let's say five, you can fit five Hiluxes in there. Okay. So we went over the top, hit the first one, completely out of control, flew into the second one and gathered the car back up by the time we'd landed in the third one. And then I knew, okay, we mustn't stop now because we're going to get stuck. So we drove around in a little circle, probably like five or ten times, and then uh, stopped. And then we had to somehow dig our way out or, or make our way out of this bowl. And then... That sort of, I clicked, okay, that's why you must watch out for the little yeah, ripples. <laughs> <laughs> um, how has uh, sort of being a father changed the way you approach racing? I mean, being a family man, um, I know you've said that in, in the days you were hell for leather, let's just attack. But does that sort of play a part in, in the back of your mind that, you know, at every time that you're out there and, and when you race, I'm sure... Your family's probably biting nails or, or just praying that you, you get back unscathed sort of thing. And maybe just share, like, what is that relationship like with, with the family? And, and they must be incredibly proud and supportive of you. Yeah, so so my wife met me after I started racing. So, <laughs> so that helps a lot. <laughs> she has no say in it after that. She knew what she was getting into. Fair enough. Um, and then I, just, I remember I was still racing, running, but I was, let's say, 18, 19. And uh, one of my teammates, Harkin, he used to always tell the story because then I was, like I said, we were flat out. So we were quite quick on the stages. And in, in some of the more difficult stages, especially like in, in PE and the Longmore Forest, there's these, these mountain passes, but the most spectacular roads, um, really high speed, blind crests. 
um, and 200 meter drops on the side of the road. So it's really you have to uh, you have to have uh, your wits about yeah. you. Absolutely. So so he used to tell me because we we were quite quick across those stages, and he used to tell me no. He can't, he can't be that quick because as soon as he comes up to that, that blind crest sideways, he just sees his two children's faces <laughs> in the oh, distance wow. and he taps off a bit and then goes oh, across. Wow. So that hasn't happened yet. Okay. <laughs> I must say I've, I've, I've checked, but no, it, it's, okay, it doesn't it's not there. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting one, I think, because, you know, it is a dangerous sport at the end of the day. It's, it's a phenomenal sport, uh, motorsport. Um, South Africa, we've got some incredible places, and you just mentioned, you know, for racing around South Africa. Do you have a favorite place to, to race in South Africa? Uh, favorite place? Yeah, so there was, there was once, there was only one race there. So they called it the Rally of South Africa, and it was actually North Coast Durban. And the Sugarcane and... It was Sugarcane, but, and, then, and then it went into forest. So it was a mixture of Sugarcane and forest okay. roads. And one corner to the next, and the speed went from like very slow, very slippery, very sideways to quite high speed, still quite sideways, <laughs> um, with a lot of grip in between the trees. And it, I remember that that race was my dad was still rallying at the time, and I was an older car, and myself and him started having a bit of a dice, okay. <laughs> and uh, we started edging ahead of him, and that was the first time that I think I started, or I was able to start beating my dad. Um, and then unfortunately we took a wheel off, uh, <laughs> just before the end, but uh, that was, that was probably the most we beautiful. Took a wheel off. Oh, um, that, was, that was a beautiful area. How would you s sort of summarize or sum up the South African scene at the moment? Like in general, we've got a lot of talented, uh, uh drivers. We've got co-drivers. We've got, uh, great places, um, to race. We've got a great scene. Um, how would you sum it up as someone who's gone through it? you know, and, and sort of reach the Dakar stuff. I know that's still unfinished business, but you've put in the hard yards. Oh, no, I'm def like I said, <laughs> I'm definitely not there yet. Um, but I've, oh, look, I've spent, I started my career in rallying and I think I, I, I probably, probably hit the peak of rallying. I was racing when it was at its peak. We had uh, 17 S2000 cars, which are, let's say, except for WRC at the time, they were the best cars you could have. So, it was really it was a really strong field, so it was a great place to to test your skills, um, and then got out of that into the the cross country scene. And at the moment, that's also the strongest it's ever been. So, I, I was fortunate to to hop series as as the one was maybe slowing down a bit. Uh, the rallying scene is not what it used to be, but the the off road or the cross country scene is really picking up yeah. a lot in South Africa. This year we've got we've got two no three three different manufacturers from South Africa um going to the Dakar. So it's brilliant. It's actually it's it's unbelievable. This is probably the, the hub of, of cross country racing in the world. Um I, you know like I think what is it, Ray? It's at the Safari in Kenya or something like that. What is that? Is that rallying or is that cross country? That was rallying. That's rallying, right? Is that something you would or have done or would consider looking at as racing in other parts of Africa? Like, you know, because Kenya's got a proud history, you know, of hosting these events. And I'm always just curious, like, what's the attraction? I know a guy like Guy Bottrell is, has often competed and told stories of how a car or half a car is in one ship and then there's a tires on another boat and then there's a barge. And it's like, it's, it's not for the faint-hearted, but is, is that something you would ever sort of experience or, or look at doing or getting just that sort of, I don't know. Tick that box. 
No, look, I I love racing. So anything I can I can get into, I will I will race. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so when I when I ended or when I stopped rallying, I always said I want to go back again mm. one day. So whether it's one day when I've retired and we're racing rear wheel drive escorts for fun or something <laughs> like that, okay. uh, I don't know. But but I mean I've done one or two WRC mm. rounds, so um, we're, we're fortunate enough to go to Monte Carlo. Um, to do the rally there and then to Portugal as well to do the WRC. So it is, it is, that's an amazing experience. Yeah. You get to see parts of a country that nobody, no tourist would ever get to because yeah. you're driving on rural roads in, in areas where no tourist is going to go <laughs> by himself. So no, it's, it's definitely, I'd, I mean, if I had the opportunity, I'd definitely go back yeah. um, to doing WRC or, I mean, at the moment, I'm even racing with my dad and them on the, on the track. So that's that's something that's really nice to share oh, with okay. him. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I've, because I've grown up yeah. around the track and always watched them drive. So I'm, I'm not a, I'm not obviously not a track driver, but it's it's uh, a lot of fun doing the different different disciplines and sharing it with, with them is awesome. And how's, how's that sort of been in terms of acquiring those skills? Because it is, it's a different skill set to the Dakar, for example, or WRC. I think a lot of the skills translate, okay. um, especially coming from rallying. We did some tarmac rallies in in Europe and so on. So, so you understand what a what a car should do on on tar, and you should be a bit smoother. Yeah. It's a different way of setting up the car and that sort of thing. So, it's come across. But there are there are some finer details that I've learned. It's a lot more on the edge, obviously, on the track yeah. um, in in cross country. Although it doesn't look like it, you need to leave a bit more margin <laughs> yeah. um, because there can be an unexpected tree or rock around the corner. But on, on the track, you can be on the limits all the time, and it's relatively safe going yeah. at 99 or 98%. So that's that's also, that's it's a different kind of fun. Yeah. I imagine racing is never going to leave your your DNA or, you know, like I'm sure like one day when you eventually sit back and you're like, I had a good time, you might still be racing something somewhere in some format. <laughs> No, I think it it will never leave you. I think once the once the bug is bitten, it's it's game over. Hank, um, what does the future hold now? What are what are some of the objectives for you? I mean, obviously, we want to get you fit and healthy. Yeah. Um, your your pillow friend there, uh, um, yeah. as uncomfortable but as supportive as it is, once that's done, you're back to full strength. What are what are you looking to to achieve? So yeah, no. Number one is getting mm. getting fit enough to be able to drive the car. Uh, like I said, I've done this once, uh, and after a hundred days, a hundred days after my surgery, I was back in the car, which um, is incredible, actually. <laughs> which was a bit <laughs> ambitious, to be honest. <laughs> so I remember we 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 went our first race back was Sugar Belt um, here, which is quite a tough rally. It's or quite a tough race. It's very twisty, very rough, demanding. Um, and I started the rally off and I felt fine. And we were actually leading by quite far. And then I remember in the second lap, we got a, we got a puncher. And I was so weak in this arm that I couldn't get the wheel out. And I couldn't put the wheel back on. Jeez. So I had to call Brett and say, you've got to finish this by yourself. <laughs> and then uh, we could carry on. But yeah, it was, it's, this time I need to look after a bit better. Um, I think get, getting back to full strength is, is number one. Having said that, I'm, I, I'm, I have a, a race in mind that I'm going to try and get to, okay. uh, which is also maybe a bit ambitious. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm, I'm looking after my diet, my sleep, mm. my training, everything to, to 
to sort of get it back to full strength as soon as possible. Um, even though you can be back in, let's say, five months, the full recovery takes one to two years. So wow, it's a, it's a complicated joint. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes a bit more time to heal. Um, but yeah, first first goal is getting back, getting back up to speed and then then definitely trying trying to get into uh, the world world championship into those races. That that's always since I've started uh, rally raid across mm. country. That's that's been the goal. I want to do I want to do the world the okay. world championship and race. You want to you want to be in the environment where the same guys that go to Dakar and the same guys that you're competing against are, are also racing. And I mean the the level of competition there is so high and you. You're racing in similar conditions on similar road books to what you do at Dakar. So that's definitely what's what should happen next. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't realize that it's not about just getting behind a wheel and driving a car. I mean, you have to be fit. You have to, you know, go to gym and that sort of thing. Uh, we've got a few minutes. What what, what are some of those, um, you know, there's a training program. I mean, now obviously it's rehab and getting that, but... You know, watching what you do, and like you say, getting a proper amount of sleep is, is all key to being an elite athlete. Yeah, so it's and it, like I said in the beginning, I didn't worry about any of this because um, I was also a lot younger, so it was easier. <laughs> uh, but I've, yeah, it is it is a big part of it. Um, it it helps you, I mean, be get focused. And in the local race, not not the end of the world. We have one day of qualifying, and then the next day you race. So if you take it out of your body, that's sort of okay. Um, but if you go to the World Championship, it's five days and Dakar is or five or six days and Dakar is two weeks. So if you if you go there and your your body is not full of energy and you you're not topped up to exactly where you you can be and you're not fit enough so that you don't use too much energy in the stage, uh, you're gonna run out of energy at some point. Uh, so only thing that happens then you either slow down or you start losing concentration and then it's just a crash waiting to happen. Lastly, what would it mean to you to win Dakar? Like, have you have you dreamt? Have you visualized that? Have you thought about it? Because I mean, that's why <clears> you're doing it, right? You're not there to, hey, selfie Dakar, right? Yeah. No. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not big on the selfie and the Instagram <laughs> and the Facebook <laughs> and that sort of thing. It's something that I they need to get people, better at. Yeah, yeah. I need to get better at that. But yeah. So it's it's never been about let's say the the fame or the glory yeah. or the whatever. It's it really. I mean, I'm at my happiest when I know I've done a good stage. Mm. So it's always, it's, 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 it's impossible to have a perfect stage, but that's what you keep chasing. Yeah. You want to, you want to have as close to that perfect stage as you, as you can. Uh, so I'm usually at my happiest when I've done my best stages. Uh, and I've thought about it, uh, about winning Dakar and about, about let's say winning a world championship or whatever. And the thing that I'm scared of is, what if you win it and you think, okay, now we need to do the next one? So <laughs> I don't think it's going to end. <laughs> no. <laughs> so so the definitely the the goal is to is to win or to let's say get on the podium and then go from from there. But I don't I don't think it's going to stop. I'm I'm not going to win the first one and say, okay, I've done it. Mm. Cheers. Um, it's it's it will carry on. You'll you'll keep building the skills, keep building the speed, keep working with the team. Uh, it's something that I don't I don't see there should be an end to. Uh, as long as I can, I'll try and keep improving. And also, you got to beat Janil's record. He's won one. You got to <laughs> go two. At least, at least, <laughs> and remind him. Hank yeah. <laughs> Gladekhan, thanks so much for your time. We wish you a speedy recovery. Have a have a wonderful festive season. Um, and yeah, we we hope to see you back in action soon. Thanks for sharing 
your insights, your experience, because uh, not everyone is is cut out or is talented or gets the opportunity to to compete and the, the levels you have. So keep up the great work. You're a great ambassador for the sport, and yeah, can't wait to see you back in a car. Right, thank you. Thanks for having me.